Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, please make your way in and grab your seat. It is a privilege to be back here with you. I'm preaching this morning. I'm going to ask if you would join me in prayer, asking the Lord's blessing on our time. God, it is true that we always, always, always need you. God, thank you for the grace of reminding us of that. Sometimes helping us to, to feel it. God, thank you for your goodness that is constant. Your faithfulness, God, that has no end. Thank you for your promises. We ask that you would... You would fulfill them today by working and doing what only you can do. Work in us, through us, for our good. In the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, I know it is just the day after Christmas. And I know that many of you, as our family is, still in full Christmas mode. And that is totally okay. I don't want to rush that for you, and yet we cannot stop the clock. I mean, in just a few short days, this year will be coming to a close. A new one will be beginning. And so, since this is the last Sunday of the year, since this is the last time I'm going to be preaching in 2021, I want to, I want to help you to as you come to the end of this year and the beginning of a new one, I want to help you to end and begin well. I want to help you to think about how you end and begin a day, a week, a season, a school year, a stage of life, and yes, a year in a God-centered way. And I'm making this application from Psalm 65 because of um, three reasons. One, because Psalm 65 verse 11 says, you crown the year with your bounty. And so it's the end of the year. That he puts his cap on the end of the year and it's his crown of bounty. And because of that verse and because of the rest of the context of Psalm 65, many commentators seem to agree that this was, Psalm 65 was perhaps written for and it was sung during the worship celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. That's the end of the agricultural year. The end of the harvest. And third reason is because not only are we coming to the end of another year, 2021, and beginning of a new one, 2022, but we have times and seasons in our lives that are nearly always ending, always beginning, even if they're small, and yet I'm not all that confident that we always respond in the most God-centered way when one season ends and another begins. When some season comes to an end, some of us, not all of us, but some of us might look back, might, might reflect on all that we've been through, all that we've done. But for most, if not all of us, it usually takes some intentional effort for us to really be amazed at all that God has done for us and in us and through us. We may have a general sense of appreciation, but that isn't the same thing as a genuine, true praising of the Lord with grateful joy. So how should we respond to what God has done? How should we respond to who He has shown Himself to be to us, maybe again and again? How should we respond with what He has blessed us? 
It's easy, I think. It's natural for us to focus on our goals, focus on, uh, on what we want to accomplish when we begin a new season. We have a daily to-do list, a weekly task list. Many people have New Year's resolutions. We have goals and things we want to accomplish, and that's normal and natural, but what does not always come so naturally, what doesn't come easily, what we need to be reminded of and exhorted to do again and again is to ask the question, what does God want us to do? We don't often stand at the brink of something new, being in total awe of God's sovereign power and rule over it all before we embark on some new journey. We too often seem to think that we're in the captain's seat without acknowledging God's authority, God's power, God's plans over all of life. And we don't always begin every new season with wonder, with surrender, with full commitment to God. We don't often ask this question, what does God deserve? What does God demand from us as we begin a new season, as we begin a new day or a new week or a a new year? And many of us, if not Most of us, I dare say, we usually just charge straight ahead into a new season without first humbling ourselves by getting on our knees in faith-filled prayer. We forget that we're sinners. We do. We forget how much we need Him to be our gracious Savior and forgiver. We forget that our battle against sin, both within and without, is pervasive and real and constant. We must be constantly and fervently prayerful, trusting God to not only be the sovereign God over all things and the one who providentially blesses and satisfies his people, but also that he's our only hope of salvation. Truly, without him, we would have no hope of making it through another year, another week, another season, another day. Sin within us, temptations before us, the enemy seeking us, and the curse all around us tells us that we will not even make it home this afternoon in faithfulness to God without His grace in Christ. Let alone will we make it all the way home to glory. We know this is true, but do we pray like it's true? Do we pray like our faithfulness and our faith depends upon God? Do we Say we believe it, but do we pray like we believe it? And so I want to open up Psalm 65 this morning and show you three ways that we can respond to God, that we should respond to God when facing an ending and a beginning of any season, no matter how short or how long that season is. These three responses are found in the first two verses of Psalm 65. So turn there with me, please. Psalm 65, verses 1 and 2. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. First it says praise, praise is due to you. That's our first response. We ought to praise God with grateful joy. Number two, it says to you shall vows be performed. That is, you give your commitment, your oath, your pledge to God. We ought to pledge ourselves to God with awed surrender. So praise Him, pledge ourselves to Him. And thirdly, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. We should come to God in prayer. We should pray to God with humble faith. This is how we should respond to God whenever something ends or new season begins. 
These two verses here tell us that God, that Yahweh is the one and only one capable of reigning over all, of satisfying all, of forgiving all. Therefore, we should praise Him and pledge ourselves to Him and pray to Him in faith. These three responses are right responses to God as one season ends and a new one begins. But, of course, these aren't the only responses we can give to God. For instance, it can be appropriate to grieve because of some season ending. It can be appropriate to lament as you look back and see all that has happened. But still, these three responses to God, I think, are often the most fundamental, the most foundational responses we should have toward God. Praising Him, pledging ourselves to Him, and praying to Him in faith. But in order to help you kind of understand this better and to be motivated to pursue them, I want to not only give you the responses, but the reason for them. I want to give you the three reasons Psalm 65 gives for why we ought to respond to God these ways, to, in these ways in the new and old seasons of life. Verses 1 and 2 give us the response to God. Then verses 3 through 13, the rest of the psalm, give us the reasons why God is worthy of these responses. And we can put it in just one succinct sentence. We should respond to God with with this praise and with pledging ourselves to him and praying to him because he alone is the sovereign and all-satisfying Savior. It's because of who he is. He alone is the sovereign one, the all-satisfying one, and the saving one, and therefore we should respond to him these ways. I want to go through each one of these at a time. First, God is the all-satisfying one. That is, he generously provides satisfaction to his people with abundant providential blessings. Look at verse 4. The second part of verse 4 says, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. We're going to come back to this verse later, but just first, just notice that God is the one who satisfies us. He's the satisfying one, and how that works we see at the end of verse 8 and following. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. That is, the sunrise, the going out of the morning, and the sunset, the going down in the evening, to shout for joy. Like the sunrise and the sunset are personified as having emotions, affections, and they shout for joy. No one can truly behold the sunrise and the sunset and say, ugh. There's something about joy in it. Even if you close your eyes and just feel the warmth of the sun on your face, there's something beautiful about it. But God didn't have to do this, you know. He didn't have to give us a sunrise or a sunset. He could have made everything different. But he didn't. And he could have made a sunrise and a sunset just black and white. No variation of color, a feel, no tones and hues, no beauty. But he didn't. And he didn't have to give us the ability to behold them and to experience them and to see his creativity and his power and his beauty and something of his glory in it. But he didn't because he's a satisfying God. He rejoices in it. And it's like he caused creation itself to rejoice because he knows that it brings us joy. He blesses us generously. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. Saying that when, when there's dew on the ground or when there's rain from the clouds, 
that causes the, the, the food to grow for his people to eat and to be sustained and to be blessed by, God has done it. He has providentially worked through the water cycle. He's providentially worked through all the laws of nature that he has created. It says, you visit the earth. You cause it to be enriched. It's your river. You provide. You bless. God has done this. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. God does all of this as the God who providentially provides blessing and satisfaction for his people. You crown the year, verse 11, with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. It's like this, uh, God is coming at the end of the harvest, and he has his wagon, and he's going to put all the, the harvest, all the produce that he has created, all that he's grown and putting on his wagon, and it's, it's so heavy, it's making tracks in the dirt because he has so much abundance just overflowing off of the wagon onto the ground, but not just a little bit here, a little bit there. It's filling up the wagon tracks, and it's abundance. It's more than enough for all of them. It's all they need and more just filling up the wagon tracks. You see, God is a God of abundance. We see in verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. Notice three things here. One, the pastures of the wilderness. Wilderness is not where you get grain and food. It's not where you get abundance. But God says that where his people are, even in the darkest and most difficult of circumstances, he is still the all-satisfying one. He still provides. He still blesses them. And he does so with Abundance, because as the pastures of the wilderness, they don't just have something, they overflow. Verse 11 says that it's, he crowns the year with bounty and he overflows it with abundance. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly. He enriches it, but he greatly enriches it. You visit the earth and water it, that is, you cause it to overflow. God always does more than is needed, more than we ask, more than we deserve. In the end of verse 12, the hills gird themselves with joy. Picking back up from into verse 8. Verse 13 contexts and says, The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain, they shout and sing together for joy. It's like all of creation says, I am here to glorify my Maker by blessing his people, and it causes me to rejoice. Because when I give abundance for them, they rejoice. It's creation's joy to be a blessing to God's people. God does this, though. You make them shout for joy. You make them have abundance for us. You bless us. God is the satisfying Savior. So how are, ought we to respond? We ought to look back on the season we just came out of, praising the Lord with grateful joy. We're to look back and to praise him with grateful joy. We are to praise him because he, the Lord, has done it. Yes, you may have worked hard, and I hope so. And yes, you may have prepared and preserved things wisely. Again, I hope so. And yes, very likely you would have less or worse if you hadn't worked so hard and done what you have, should have done. However, it is still the Lord who has done it. As one writer says, a God-oriented perspective on provisions a God-centered view on blessings acknowledges that He is the giver of all things. Or as someone else has said, all of our provision is ultimately because of God's generosity and not 
our ingenuity. I mean, you, you may be very ingenuitive. You may be very creative, very skillful and resourceful, very efficient and effective, very powerful and well-connected. But where does all that come from? Who gave it to you? Who sustains it? Who makes it effective? God does. What do you have that he has not given you? Nothing. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. So praise him for his gifts. And they are gifts. They are gifts, not wages. We work. We respond. We obey. But we do not earn. We don't deserve any good from God. So he blesses us because he's gracious, not because we're worthy. So be grateful as you praise him. Be grateful as you praise him. As most of you know, um, my family and I have been uh, out with COVID and struggling with weird and various symptoms. And uh, uh, lost my sense of smell and taste about halfway through and thought that won't be that big of a deal. Uh, I'll just eat some really healthy stuff I normally don't like because it tastes gross. But <clears throat> didn't turn out that way. Um, so I, when you're sick, you need food to give your body energy so it can heal. But I was very nauseous. And then losing my sense of smell and taste actually made me not want to eat all the more. And I just, it just struck me in the middle of this. I often thank God for our food. I mean, daily. And I thank God even for it tasting good. But I don't think I've ever praised God with grateful joy for the ability to smell and taste. I, I, you don't have, you can live without those senses, but what a blessing that he had gives them to you to be able to enjoy things. Like, and I, I started thinking about how many other things that I have and enjoy and utilize all day, every day, and just the ability to be able to enjoy that. I, I don't deserve that from him. I've not earned that. It's not, it's not a right I get to demand from God. We need to acknowledge that we are not owed all the daily blessings that he gives us, and we need to thank him for them. Be grateful. Have gratitude. And real gratitude is full of joy. If you're to be thankful, you must be joyful. And this is what God is after. Nathan's message from Friday night, Christmas Eve service, reminded us that God invites his people into his kingdom of joy, his joyful kingdom. He wants us to rejoice in him and in his merciful kindness to us. He doesn't merely provide us providentially with all that we need, but more so, he also gives us what we delight in, and often abundantly so. It's for our joy that he gives us all that we have, because he is the satisfier. And more than that, he is satisfaction itself. You see, he does not merely bless us with things, with family, with food, with health and abilities and whatever else, so that we, we may rejoice in them, yes, but more so that we may rejoice in him. It is for our joy in him that he gives to us. So as we look back on a season, reflecting upon all that the Lord has done for us and given to us, praising him with grateful joy, it causes us to actually enjoy more of what we already have, but it also helps us to enjoy and love him more. That's what he's after. But 
what should you do if you look back at the day? You look back over this past season or maybe this past year and you find so many dark spots with hard, with bad, with painful memories and experiences. Well, as I said earlier, at times you may need to mourn and lament these things to God, telling the Lord of all of your heartache. But even so, you can and you still should praise Him with grateful joy for all of the other countless blessings that He gave you. Even if you don't get all that you have dreamed of this Christmas or this past year or this next year, don't let the loss of good things, don't let the presence of painful things keep you from enjoying and being grateful for all that He has graciously and generously showered you with. Don't say, yeah, yeah, of course I'm thankful for my family, but it would have been really nice if I would have not gotten sick. Don't say, I, I, of course, I love the fact, I'm so thankful for the fact that I've, uh, fact that I've been healthy this year, but you know, it's been really nice to have a new job. Don't say, I, 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 I am so thankful for my freedom or creation or the abilities that God gives me or my church or, or whatever it is. Don't say, yeah, but. Unless you're going to say, yeah, I may have had COVID this year, but God was gracious. I may have lost a family member or a friend or a job or some ability or opportunity, but God has been so good to me. I may have had hard times, but God has sustained me and blessed me abundantly. As you look back on your day, your season, your year, don't be discontented. Don't be ungrateful. But how do you keep from going down that path? Two very simple things. Make a list and express it. Make a list, maybe mentally or even if you need to physically write down as many of these blessings that God has given you as you can possibly think of. But don't just write them down and move on. Write them down and dwell on them. Think about them in detail. Really seek to remember each blessing vividly. Think back at your, at your summer vacation. And that warm sun on your face. Maybe that time of fishing or of being on the boat or down at the beach or walking in the mountains or being with your friends or your family. Maybe playing a game with your family and you were all laughing so hard you were crying. Or that friend came to you when you were crying and put their arm around you. Or you opened up the Bible and you said, God, I need something. And he came and he blessed you richly. Whatever it is, think about it in great detail until you are overwhelmed with his gracious goodness and overcome with thankfulness and happiness. Make a list and then express it. Tell it to God. Tell it to him in the same detail that you remember it. Say, God, I'm thankful not just for this and this and this, but I'm thankful for this and here's why. I'm thankful for this and all that goes with it and detail and great number and here's why. And then tell it to others. Brag on the Lord. Brag on him and how he has caused you to overflow with his abundant blessings. That's how you end a day. That's how you end a season or end a year, by praising the all-satisfying God with grateful joy. And yet, <coughs> that's not the only response we should have, <clears throat> because that's not all that he is. He's not only the all-satisfying one, he is the sovereign one. 
That is, he powerfully wields his sovereignty by a supreme authority and power over all. Look at verses 5 through 8. Psalm 65, verse 5. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. By awesome deeds, that is, by great and mighty works that cause people to be in awe. The hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. God is such a one that he is the only hope of everybody and anybody, no matter where they are or who they are. Because he is one, verse 6, by his, who by his strength established the mountains. The mountains that seem so formidable, so immovable, so strong and stable. God established them because he's girded with might. And he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. No matter the natural or human disaster, God can make it be still in a moment. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. Whether the signs of uh, we read of in verses, the rest of verse 8 all the way through verse 13, whether the signs of God working for his people. You think of things like the, the battle of Jericho, the walls tumbling down, or you think of the Midianites routing themselves and God protecting his people. You think of David and fighting the great giant, or you think of the, the, the exodus out of Egypt with all the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, or you think of any another, a number of these great and awesome deeds of the Lord, or you think about the billions upon billions of billions of things that God has done in our lives. And God did it with great strength, great power, great control. There is no one like our Lord. He has unmatched power, unending resources, unimaginable skill, and unfailing wisdom. He answers to no one. He is the only independent and free being. He is the chief, the supreme one, the highest authority in all the universe. He controls the entire created order and all that lives in it. He ultimately decides the outcome of all that comes to pass. That's what it means that he is sovereign. Forget this. He who formed these mighty mountains, he fights for his people. He who keeps the seas in their places subdues the enemies of his beloved. He who rides upon the storms and upholds the universe by the word of his power, he protects his chosen ones. And what response does this call forth? As we come to a new season, each new day or new week or new season or year, we ought to look forward, pledging ourselves fully to God with awed surrender. You look back and you praise Him with grateful joy, and then you look forward and you pledge yourself to God fully with awed surrender. That is, you you don't just make your plans. You don't just set your agenda. You don't just ask and expect everyone else to fall in line. You must remember that you are not God. And be amazed, be in awe of him who has the ability, the control, the skill, and the plans that you cannot even imagine. And surrender yourself to him and pledge yourself to him. Make your heart so that you embrace his sovereign plans and power. So that when you speak and think and act, it is like James tells us to in James 4. 
Not tomorrow I will do this, and next year I will go into this city and this town, but say, if the Lord wills, because I am not sovereign. I'm not in control. I don't know the future, and I cannot control it. But God does. And then you live for Him, the sovereign one. So as you start each day or move into a new year, look out. Look out at the dark sea before you. Look long down the unbeaten path at your feet and be in awe that the sovereign Lord has already been there and he has conquered every square inch of it for his people. There is nothing that can surprise him, nothing that can scare him, nothing that can shake him. His plans are perfect and cannot be stopped or hindered even in the slightest. He has ordained already everything that will come to pass. What's even more beautiful is he's already ordained everything that will happen to you today and tomorrow and next week. And in 2022, he's already ordained that all of it will be for your everlasting good if you are one of his people. Such is his power, his sovereignty, his control. Should not such unparalleled power and unyielding control cause you to tremble? Shouldn't it humble you and cause you to be in awe of him? Does not such unchallengeable authority and unswerving commitment to his people, does that not give you all the reason you need to pledge yourself to him, to commit yourself to him fully in awed surrender? But he who is the all-satisfying one and the sovereign one is also the saving one. He is the saving one who graciously grants salvation by substitutionary atonement. Look at verse 2. Psalm 65, verses 2 through 4. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Are you a sinner? Do you ever struggle with or even give in to temptation? As you look back over this past year, how many times do you figure you have blown it? How many times have you been angry or given to lust or selfishness? Do you hate your sin? Do you love the Lord and do you long to obey Jesus with more and more of your heart? When you think about living a long life and coming to the end, do you desire to be faithful to the Lord even to your dying breath? Then humbly go to your Savior, Jesus, and ask Him to continue or to start His saving work in you. Because that's who he is, and that's what he does. He is the saving one. He atones for sin. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. First part of verse 3 reminds me of Psalm 38, 4, which says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Are you weighed down with the shame of your own sin? Then don't plan on moving forward into another season, another year, or even another day without humbly asking Jesus in faith to cover your sin with his blood. You move forward 
under such grace because your sin has put you in debt. Not debt to yourself, not in debt to your family and friends, not in debt to the world around you, not in debt to Satan, not in debt to some uh, ethereal idea of, of goodness or justice. You are in debt to the holy, holy, holy God. And you cannot pay it. It's too much because he is too holy. Praise be to his name when his iniquities are, when our iniquities are too much for us. They prevail against us. They're too heavy for us. What does Psalm 65, the second part of verse 3 say? You atone for our transgressions. And he comes and he says, you have a debt you cannot pay. So I will pay the debt that I do not owe. He comes by sending his son to pay that debt, to bring forgiveness, to bring atonement, to cover us so that we are set free from our sin and our debt. But he does not just leave us in this neutral position where he says, okay, I'm no longer going to punish you for your sin. I'm not going to make you pay your debt because it's clean. No, verse 4 says, he does more. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. He chooses sinners and he brings them near. In Christ, the sinner is brought near to the holy God and this nearness to God is our good. It's our satisfaction. Look at verse 4 again. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Being near to God, we get to have him as our God, our King, our Savior, our Father even. And that's connection to verse 2. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Yes, all flesh should come to him and pray to him. But why would they? Why would any sinner come to the holy God expecting that they would receive anything from him in answer to prayer, anything except for judgment? Unless he makes atonement by his substitute. So instead of being cast out of his presence and punished as sinners, in Jesus we are brought near as his sons and daughters and blessed. We're reassured that he is our God who hears our prayers. And in this context, most specifically, He answers the prayers of humble sinners who come to him in faith. They will be forgiven and atoned for and cleansed and saved. So for those of you who already have such faith in Jesus and forgiveness from him, how should you now respond as one season ends and another begins? You look back and you praise him with grateful joy. You look forward and you pledge yourself to him in awed surrender. And finally you move forward praying with humble faith. You move forward into this next season, this next day, this next week, this next year, praying with humble faith. Do you want to know how do you start each new day? As soon as you get up, get down on your knees and acknowledge your need for Jesus and his saving work to continue to be for you and to be in you. Humbly ask him in faith to continue that work as you move forward throughout your day. Ask him to make you more like him as you move into the new year. Ask him to conquer every rebel power in you. Ask him to lead you into all repentance. Ask him to make you bold in evangelism, humble in confession, gentle in correction, sincere in encouragement, helpful in service, and faithful in all things. Humbly ask your Savior to grow you in faith and in love and in righteousness and in joy. Ask him in faith because he is the God who hears prayer. 
but it doesn't always feel like it, does it? You've prayed, you've prayed, you've prayed, and it doesn't seem like he answers. Sometimes it is hard to believe that he really is the God who hears prayer, but that's why it takes faith. And our faith needs his word. We need the truth of God's word to strengthen our faith in him. So that's what it says here in Psalm 65, verse 2. God is the one who hears prayers. This is not just what he does, it's who he is. I love what John Calvin says of this passage. He says, the title here given to God, that God is one who hears prayer, that's who he is, that title carries with it a truth of great importance, that the answer of our prayer is secured by this fact. He says that we can know for certain that God will hear our prayers and answer his people because in rejecting them, if he didn't hear our prayers and and answer us, respond to us, then in a certain sense he would deny his own nature because that's who he is. He is the God who hears the prayers of his people. And so if he stops hearing our prayer, stops answering us, stops responding to us, then he stops being himself and he cannot. So secure is our praying to Him and Him responding because that's who He is and He cannot change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we should pray. He hears. So we should pray. Pray for cleansing. Pray for sanctification and growth and motivation to change. Pray for God to continue His saving work in you from your sin. But what about praying for healing? and provision, and comfort, and protection, and such. Yes. Of course we can pray about these things, because the Lord is both the sovereign one and the Savior. So Him satisfying us with His merciful blessings is a small thing, comparatively, and it is a sure thing. On probably the the worst day of the past couple of weeks for me, I uh, was praying and I, I, I've been praying that God would help heal me and just make me feel better and wake up the next morning and rested and slept miserably for three nights in a row. And I prayed that I would sleep well and wake up feeling better. And I had the worst night's sleep yet, feeling the worst when I woke up. And I had this, this picture in my mind of um, the leper who comes to Jesus in the Gospels. And he says, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Like, if you are willing, I know you're able. I know that. I'm just not sure if you're willing. And I started to pray that way. And I felt a rebuke. God says, you know better. He didn't know. You know what he doesn't. That of course I'm willing. I've proved it to you. I gave you my son, didn't I? How, I will not, how will I not also with him graciously give you all things? Oh, I'm willing. You know I love you that much. I'm willing. Don't ever doubt my ability. Don't ever doubt my willing heart for you. You might not know my plans. Oh, but if I'm not going to give you this, it's because I'm more willing than you realize to give you something even better. The cross of Jesus Christ, it is more than proof of God's willingness to answer our prayers, but it is not less. Know for sure through the cross of Jesus Christ that he has already proven that he is the God who hears the prayers of his people. So pray to him. 
Pray to him in humble faith. And if you're listening to this message today and you can't truly say that Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, if you are not yet really trusting God's love to come through Christ, if you don't yet see him as the sovereign one, the all-satisfying one, the saving one, then listen to verse 5 again. The second part. David says that this is who God is. He is the hope of all the ends of the earth. He is the hope of the farthest seas. He's saying that God deserves to be responded to with praise and with pledging and with prayers. He deserves it. He demands it from absolutely everyone. The one true biblical religion ought to be fully embraced by everyone without exception. If you hear my voice today, you should be a Christian. It's not just something we're saying, I think you should, or I would like for you to. This is something you ought to do. Something you ought to be. Every person in the world, no matter their background, their education, their income, or social status, ought to praise the one true God with grateful joy because it is He who has blessed them with everything they enjoy. Every person in the world, no matter their gender, age, ethnicity, or religion, ought to pledge themselves fully to God and all surrender because it is He who is sovereign in power and authority over them and over everyone. Every person in the world, no matter their sins and successes or fears and failures, ought to pray to the God of Psalm 65 with humble faith because it is He and He alone who hears prayers and grants forgiving salvation. Psalm 65 has a message to all flesh. Namely, praise the Lord with grateful joy. Pledge yourself to Him in awed surrender and pray to Him in humble faith because He alone generously provides satisfaction. He alone powerfully wields sovereignty over all and He alone graciously grants atoning salvation. And the atoning salvation that God gives is only by substitution. And that substitute is ever only Jesus. He must punish sin. He must bring about his wrath, his justice to bear on either us or a substitute. And that substitute, the only worthy one is Jesus. The first, the last, and the only basis for our forgiveness and cleansing and transformation is of grace through faith in Christ alone. So again I say, if you are not yet trusting in Christ, if, you don't put, if you're not putting your faith in him, then as we come to partake of communion today, this is not yet for you. Instead, stay where you are and get on your knees and pray. Pray in humble faith because He is the God who hears prayer. And He brings atoning, forgiving salvation. And if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus this morning, that he, you know that He is your only hope. And you rejoice in that fact. And, in, and you've had your faith in Jesus affirmed by other Christians in baptism in a local church. Then in just a moment you can exit to your left and come up to one of these tables. Grabbing a communion cup. That represents the, the body and the blood of Jesus given for sinners like us. And you can go back to the right to your seat. And take them. Praising Him. Pledging yourself to Him. I'm praying to him in the name of Jesus.
Whenever you are ready, for those who should come, please come.